Here is the latest Higher Summits forecast brought to you by our friends at the Mount Washington Observatory. Weather above treeline in the White Mountains is often wildly different than at our trailheads. Before you hike, check the Higher Summits forecast at mountwashington.org. Weather observers working at the nonprofit Mount Washington Observatory write this elevation-based forecast every morning and afternoon. Search and rescue teams, avalanche experts, and backcountry guides all rely on the Higher Summits forecast to anticipate weather conditions above treeline. You should too. Go to mountwashington.org or text FORECAST to 603-356-2137. And here's your forecast for Friday, March 1st, and Saturday, March 2nd. Friday, in and out of the clouds, trending towards in the clear under mostly clear skies, with a high rising through the day, lower teens above. Winds west at 55 to 75 miles per hour, with gusts up to 90 miles per hour, decreasing to 45 to 60 miles per hour, with gusts up to 75 miles per hour, with a wind chill rising to 20 below to 35 below. Friday night, in the clear under partly cloudy skies, becoming increasingly cloudy late, with a low rising to the lower 20s. Winds west, shifting southwest at 45 to 60 miles per hour, decreasing to 30 to 45 miles per hour, with gusts up to 60 miles per hour. Wind chill will be rising to 5 above to 5 below. And uh, we don't have any information for Saturday, so uh, be sure to check back in as able before you head out for the weekend. All right, have a great time. From the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. Up, we are live. Episode one forty two. One forty two. One four two. That's the number of the bus yeah. on uh, that movie there, Into the Wild. One four two. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah. That. Fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact. Um, 
I'm not cracking a beer at the beginning of the show because I'm sick again. Can you hear it in my voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard it the other night too when you're doing your uh, presentation. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, know what happened. I like, like was I was sick when I did that. I wasn't sick. I was just stuffed up. Uh huh. When I did that Zealand Bonds traverse, and now I am stuffed up again so I thought it was like early season allergies or something hey, that's, uh, I don't know but I, that's what I've been thinking too because I've been struggling as well the last several days oh, started last week in snowmobile and, and uh, the early part of this week was a nightmare I'm like ugh but I'm better now too yeah I think I'm just getting old well rest up well I had to go into the city today oh so there was no resting no kidding how'd that go well, it's fine. It's nice to see everybody at work in person, but it's like, I can't believe I used to do that five days a week without even thinking twice, like getting uh, up at five in the morning, yeah. driving into Boston at 6 a.m., uh-huh. parking, and then navigating my way out of there. Like, I don't know how I did that for so many years. <laughs> it's like, I felt like I was going off to war or something today. <laughs> hey, how was the traffic? Was it brutal? Uh, it's not bad. I take Route 1 down, so it was pretty much moving until I got into... Uh, onto the Tobin Bridge, backs up onto the Tobin Bridge a little bit, and then yeah. I got to get into Kendall Square and Cambridge. So gotcha. it wasn't wasn't too bad. I go early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I waited until eight, eight. seven thirty or eight o'clock, then it's a different story. It sure is. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Nice. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So that's about it. Um, all right. So welcome to episode one forty two of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. So this week we are joined by Eric Hamilton. Eric is the author of the recently released new book, He's back. The Other Fifty Two: A Hiker's Guide to the Lower Fifty Two Peaks of the New Hampshire One Hundred Highest. So Eric's also a longtime blogger, along with his wife Alana, and you can check out details of many of their adventures on their website, A Talk in the Woods. So we'll include that in a, as a link in our show notes. So we. We hope that you'll enjoy hearing from someone who knows where all the less traveled corners of the White Mountains are, and we'll share some stories and advice about places listeners might not always think about to check out when they're, um, but they're definitely worth knowing about. So along with Eric, we have a review of the Vermont 4,000 footers, and we got a missing hiker case and some drama in the snowmobile community. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. This is Ben Pease from Hiking Buddies. We are a 501c3 nonprofit committed to reducing avoidable tragedies through education, impactful projects, and fostering a community of support. You can find out more at hikingbuddies.org. We wanted to say thank you to those who have supported our mission, and most importantly, say thanks to those who speak up, who ask questions, and who are willing to provide guidance and assistance on the trails when needed. You embody what it means to be a hiking buddy. And now, for all my newer hikers out there, here's this episode's Hiking Buddies Quick Tip. Leave No Trace Principles Number 3 and 4. Dispose of waste properly and leave what you find. Pack out what you pack in and don't pack out things you find on trail. You might disturb the fragile ecosystem.
Yeah. All right, stomp. So you get to, we get drama in the snowmobile community. Oh hell yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I don't want to okay. ruin it for everybody, but uh, yeah, some uh, some stuff is happening. All right, yeah. well, uh, stomp. Do you have the shame drop ready to go? I uh, sure do. Why? All right. Well, uh, congratulations to the Mount Washington Road Race Lottery winners: um, Judy, her daughter, Marley, Tracy, Morgan, and two friends. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Did you get in? No, I didn't even bother. All right. So shame on both of us. I didn't. It's not that I didn't bother. It's that I forgot. Oh, I just dude. was so busy with work yeah. that I forgot to put in for it. So interesting. Um, yeah, I was on top of it, but I was I was too busy myself. But I'm also nursing. Uh, my right knee is a little funky, and I just between being tight with time to train properly and my knee, it's like, nah, I'm gonna pass this year. Uh, yeah, and the crazy thing, I'm in like a text group with like Judy and Marley, um, who are friends. From, like, we did the Emily hike, and they were talking about it like multiple times. So it's not like I didn't get reminded of it. It just yeah. was. Um, I just dropped the ball. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll be good for your toe. Maybe your toe is not fully healed yet. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just stupid. <clears throat> um, all right, Stomp. So uh, we've got some crazy weather on top of Mount Washington. So you just read the um, higher summit forecast. So it is it is going to calm down. It's going to get a little bit mm. better. But there's some crazy weather up there right now, right? It's been pretty gnarly. Yeah, we had that um, warm weather and then this cold front rolled through uh, Tuesday into Wednesday. And we got a message from Patrick, who was recently on the show. Uh, Instagram handle top of the northeast if you're interested he sent a message with a uh, graphic with the gust gauge at like 120 miles an hour 120.3 and then he uh he was just chatting a little bit with me saying yeah let's see it's still beating us pretty well right now the mountain has been in a mood quote unquote since last night although it seems like the sun is almost breaking through it's trying but man is it brutal outside the doors right now been up most of the night to monitor the boilers and we've been on generator power since last night as well so i had to keep an eye on that so uh unbelievable it's a whole other world up there people yeah yeah Yeah. it's crazy how quickly it turns up there so it's pretty wild um thanks for the update hopefully the crew stays safe yeah absolutely all right, so next up, you've got a congrats here to Adventures of Miles and Smiles on completing the Double Prezi mm. Grid. Yeah, how cool is that? So he has been doing the, the Double Prezi, which is the entire presidential twice, regardless of where you start from, whether it's up at uh, Appalachia or down in Crawford Notch. If you start at Crawford, you go to the, the other end and then just backtrack. So he's done this every month Um which is quite a feat. It's pretty cool. So he just finished uh, his grid on that. Amazing. Hello? Oh, sorry. I was on mute, Snob. Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, edit that out. Because um, I'm blowing my nose. Oh. So I just put myself on mute. <laughs> So, so I understand this then. So he's doing a, a presidential traverse from whatever direction, and then going back. Correct. Yeah. And then he will. Um, yeah, and then he's done that twelve months. Correct. Yeah. All right. That's impressive. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. And uh, he uh, took his dolls, his Arlette dolls, with him too. So that's pretty neat. Have you? Do you have one of those, Mike? 
I don't. I need to order you one. You really should. Um, I, She'll personalize it for you. I mean, Mrs. Stomp and I have two, and uh, they're just really cool. Um, she does a great job looking into your photos and your image, and she makes a doll that is really a great replica of yourself. Yeah, so what Stomp's talking about is um, Arlette Lan, who I think she's out. She's doing a some kind of a, um, a through hike, so yeah. she sells dolls, so I will... Um, I'll look to see if I can um, put a link to her her storefront in the show notes. Yes, very nice. Yeah, great stuff. Well, next we have um, a review of the Hiking Buddies presentation that uh, happened last night. Hi- Hiking Buddies uh, asked Mike to present his search and rescue data for 2023. And um, I was lurking in the background there watching and um, it was great. I thought it was fantastic. It was well attended. A lot of good questions and a lot of good information. And uh, yeah, what what did you think, Mike? How did you feel it went over? It was good. I expanded the presence. So this is, I think if you check out, I think it's like episode 123 or something. It's the one where uh, Jack Daly was on and we had Civil Air Patrol. We did, it's it's on our YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I did a presentation, but this is like the second version of it. And I put in the 2023 data. So um, key takeaways just for people that don't want to listen to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no secret patterns to this stuff. Um, You know, search and rescue calls are relatively rare. It's basically one one out of 25,000 hikes results in a search and rescue call that puts a person in the in the newspaper so it's pretty pretty rare younger people are slightly more likely to be involved in a search and rescue call uh, older men typically are more likely to be involved in fatalities i think uh, 50 plus year old men should be proactive about getting cardiac uh, checkups and scans and things like that mm-hmm. but the other stuff we've always talked about here is is a lot of lower leg injuries so Add a splint and a wrap for your 10 essentials. Yeah. Um, not just for you, but for other people in case you run into them and they need help. Uh, we always talk about carrying an extra headlamp. I always carry two headlamps, one nice one and one cheap one, so I can give the cheap one away to somebody if they don't have one. Uh, and then I also think you got to factor in at least three hours minimum. That's minimum for a rescue team to arrive. Yeah. So in winter season especially, you've got to make sure you got ground insulation, hot liquid, a bivy, uh, add that to your 10 essentials so that you can wait it out. In the winter, you might you might have to wait out you know, 8, 10, 12, even 24 hours in some cases. So. Oh, yeah. Whole different ballgame. Yep. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that's sort of top of mind for me is you got to operate with a, the mountain will be there another day mindset. So yeah. it's easy. I think we've done a lot. And Eric, you, you know, you've hiked a lot of uh, areas. So I think it's easy. It's probably easier for all of us to just sort of take that perspective to say like, yeah, the mountain will be there another day. But I think a lot of people that are pursuing list and are newer hikers are um, goal oriented. And it's probably harder for people to turn around. So they're going to they're press sometimes. And you just, when you're pressing and you're in a risky situation, that's when you got to stop and just say, you know what, I'm going I'm to bail. Go come back another day. Yeah, and when you get to the yeah. top of a mountain, that's usually where you get the most extreme weather when you're closest to that peak, you know, and that's your objective. And it's that makes it, you know, tenfold hard to, uh, to turn around and bail for another day when you're that close. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the problem is sometimes like once you've gotten to the summit, you've already walked past that line where you're in trouble and, you know, sometimes there's no going back if you have low visibility and things like that. So it's it's hard to 
you know, when you're in the moment, especially when you've committed so much time and effort, it's, it's tough to make that decision. But we all have to operate with that. So, but it was good. So we talked through. There's a lot of data in here. I'll, I'll, I'll link the presentation. There's a YouTube video that the buddies put up that I'll link into our uh, socials and the show notes. And yeah, you can check out. There's some cool data in here. There's like the the total visitors into the White Mountains. There's uh, some summaries about rescue numbers that have been posted by Fishing Game from 2009 to 2019. And then uh, there's just a lot of summaries, the hot spots, you know, Franconia Ridge, Mount Washington, Chicora, Monadnock, Cannon, well, well sticky. It's always a yeah, surprise to me. So. Well, I mean, the, and it's great. The Trailhead Stewards Program has everything covered, basically. Yeah. You know, they, they've, they have all the hot spots covered. True, so. true. Um, yeah, so there's some good stuff in here. Uh, we talked about a couple of different patterns that I had spotted, which I thought were kind of interesting. So there's... There's probably in the last five years or so, there's like six or eight cases of clusters of young people. Mm -hmm. So these are usually like, you know, teenagers or 20 something year olds that will go out and hike together in groups of like five, six, seven, eight people and they end up getting lost or um, in trouble without lights and things like that. So there's been two, four, so yeah, there's seven of them that I've, I've tracked in the last five years or so where, you know, these large groups of young people. So I think if you're out there hiking, you see a group of young people, it's probably a little bit easier for you to just say, Hey, how you doing? What are you guys up to? Are you enjoying your hike? And then, you know, poke a little bit. If, if it turns out that you feel like they might be a little out of their element, you know, ask them some more questions. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And a good opener is, hey, I've got a podcast. i got a podcast. Yeah. They're going to be like, what? <laughs> yeah. they'll, they'll turn around and walk as fast as they can away from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was looking at like some of the old uh, rescue stories, and the one that really just stands out to me, like talk about the worst luck, is the kid that w- decided in the spring to stand under the snow bridge on Tuckerman. <laughs> right. And the, the yeah. snow bridge just collapsed the, on him. Like, oh, talk about like the worst luck. Darwin Award. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> That's going to be the like dumbest. <laughs> I mean, he survived. He's okay. At that time of the Stuff year. Stuff happens, but yeah. Come on. He wanted to get a cool picture, but not good. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Yes. So anyway, but we'll uh, we'll link that all in the show notes, and then Stomp, you pulled an article here. Uh, we've got another situation yeah. like uh, Pierce Brosnan, who is the actor that played James yeah, Bond. Yeah, yeah. He it's had gotten in trouble spreading. because he was on what, Yellowstone, and he went off trail. Correct. Yeah, yeah. He pulled a. So I, I've been calling it the Pierce Brosnan syndrome, where rules don't apply to you. And apparently, this happened in what looks like to be Mount Rainier National Park, but uh, an Instagram account posted pictures of somebody that went off trail and they were just trampling on the subalpine meadows and uh, it's a very delicate ecosystem and the National Park Service uh, of course is reminding everybody to stay on trail especially when you have millions of people walking these trails and you know occasionally going off trail the risk of damage to these uh, ecosystems is dramatic so another Pierce Brosnan syndrome uh, case how dear they it's spreading <laughs> yeah, people have to remember those that, you know, you step on these delicate um, vegetation and it can take years and years and years to grow back. So yeah, just yeah. stay on the trails. Right. It's not hard. Very simple concept. Yep. Unless you're Pierce Brosnan. Yes. 
<laughs> so we have a birthday shout out here. We're taking we're yeah. taking uh, requests now, Stomp. Uh, we sure are. So uh, this is a very special uh, birthday shout out, and it, we have uh, quote here. Let's say we would like to wish a belated happy happy birthday to a dedicated listener and hiker, Rob McCarthy of Old Lyme, Connecticut. On behalf of Allie, Danny, Mike, and myself, we hope you had a really great day, Rob, and uh, we appreciate your listenership. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Rob. And I, I, I please forgive me. I know I've been bashing Connecticut drivers for the last couple of weeks, so I apologize. <laughs> I'm not talking about you. I'm sure you're an excellent driver. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and then we want to give a shout out to Justin and the Dad Venture crew. So Justin and his kids um, had posted a, uh, a couple of awesome videos on Instagram that they put together uh, that are is an homage. Yeah to the uh, Hookset uh, Common Man rest stops, both northbound and southbound. They did they did a, um, a review video, and they used the, the slasher music in the background, so it was very well produced. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, really well done, so really appreciate that. That was fun. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. All right, Stomp, and then now you want to talk about the 4,000 footers in Vermont. We don't talk about these very often. Yeah, we don't. So here's a little brief review, and this comes on the heels of a notable hike tag by Real Hashtag JB, who tagged us for her Camel's Hump um, hike, which brings her to four out of five. So there are five 4,000 footers in Vermont. We'll touch upon them in a moment. And uh, that was with her dog, Mookie. And uh, apparently they have Killington left to finish the 4,000 footers in Vermont. So there are five, and uh, here they're listed um, by height. So it begins with Mount Mansfield at 4,300 feet. Killington, 4,200 Giver Plus, Camel Sump, 4,083, Mount Ellen, 4,083, and then Mount Abraham, 4,006. So these five peaks, um, apparently they all sit in the Green Mountains and are part of the... Are they on the Appalachian Trail, which is the long trail, or are they on the long trail? They're part of the AT, correct? I don't know. I think that the AT splits off before it gets up to those summits, but okay. I could be wrong about that. It splits off right around Killington, yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, um, let's see. Down to the border mass. So, let's touch upon Mount Mansfield for a moment here. So, um, this is, again, 4,393 feet, and it's the tallest in the state. A lot of secondary peaks, and it makes... The it includes the nose, the forehead, and the Adam's apple. Hmm. Interesting. They're all named after, as body parts because some say the ridge line of Mansfield looks like a face when viewed from the east. Interesting. So along with Camel's Hump and Mount Abraham, uh, they're the only three mountains in Vermont with alpine tundra that survived the Ice Age. So that's a neat little takeaway. Mount Killington, we all know as a ski resort, and that is at 4,235 feet, and they call it the Beast of the East. The Long Trail and the Appalachian Trail both cross the summit, and if you're traveling south on the AT, you won't reach another 4,000 footer until Virginia. Wow. 
That's pretty interesting stuff. Let's see. Camel's Hump, number three, 4,083 feet. It's the highest peak in the green, is the third highest peak in the Green Mountains. And this mountain is featured on the U.S. Vermont Quarter because of the distinct appearance of the mountain. And what's notable about this one, in 1944, during World War II, a BG, B-27J bomber plane on a training mission crashed into the side of the mountain near the summit. So most of the summit's been removed, uh, the summit wreckage has been removed, but parts of a wing are still viewable about 0.4 miles from the summit. So that's pretty cool. Um, and we have a couple more here. So number four is Mount Allen at 4,083 feet as well. And let's see, the long trail traverses the summit ridge of Mount Abraham. Uh, the mountain is situated between Cut Peak to the south and General Stark Mountain to the north. Mm, ah, this is interesting. Mount Ellen, as well as Lincoln Peak, provide the slopes for Sugarbush Ski Resort in Mad River Valley. Apparently, there are no views at the summit of this mountain. And then finally, Mount Abraham, which is named after, guess who? Abraham Lincoln. Comes in at 4,017 feet. And um, it's the fifth tallest mountain in Vermont and the tallest in Addison County. It has views on the summit that look towards Champaign Valley and the Adirondack Mountains. That's pretty neat. And again, like I'd mentioned, it was named after the 16th president. The mountain used to be called Potato Hill in the late 1800s, and and the name is stamped on the benchmark of the summit. So... Pretty cool stuff. So this comes from the 4,000footers.com website. And within these uh, links to these five mountains, there's actually a plane crash site page that you have to check out. I didn't know they had that, but that is available as well. They list several sites where you can go to see wreckage. And uh, they do include the Waternomy site here up in uh, Woodstock, too. So that's what I got. Not bad. Have you gone to any of these? I have not. No, I've driven by them, and some of them are really impressive looking, but uh, I've not had a chance to get out there. Yeah, I haven't either. I haven't done much in Vermont. What about Eric? Have you been out there? You've hiked all of these, right? Yeah, I I grew up in New York, so that was a stopping ground. Um, Mansfield, when I was a kid, my parents would bring us there all the time. Um, Yeah, they're they're great hikes. I found out that it's not really broken out in wintertime. If you go long trail south to um, Mount Ellen, okay. Alana and I had an interesting day that time. But, um, yeah, the <laughs> trails are beautiful out that way. Right. Yeah. Do you prefer to go in winter or, like, is there a time that you feel like is better than, than – I love winter. winter. Yeah. yeah, winter, you know, bushwhacking is great because you have the snow. If you can time it right and get a nice, you know, crust on that snow. Um, but there's also no bugs. Yeah. I cannot stand gnats and black flies and mosquitoes Mm. um all the biting bugs and there's just less people it's quieter it's you know all the snow just silences a lot of things so i like winter very yeah navigation's easier too yeah especially yeah going out and you can just follow your own tracks back (laughs) back to your car exactly you know that's great when you bushwhack, and I know that like this year is probably not that big of a deal, but like I, I found, I don't break trail that often, but I definitely um, ran into some challenges. Like on trail, sometimes you can step into, um, 
you know, like a pine trap and, and a spruce trap, things like that. And when you're doing the bushwhacks, do you have any tricks? Like, can you just tell at this point, because you've been doing it so much in winter, like how to avoid those deep traps? Or you just, is it just come with the territory? It, it's hit or miss sometimes. I mean, I, I still go up to my, uh, my armpit sometimes and balsam fir and, and spruce, but uh, usually, you know, you start to get a knack, you know, for picking the little, uh, you know, two inches of uh, the tip of a spruce, um, you know, sticking out of the snow and you can kind of start to feel when snow gets soft and what to avoid and, and, you know, things like that. It just comes with experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still get unlucky all, all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. It's brutal. I, I, I've, I've found, I was like, all right, I just have to remember no matter how tempting it is, it looks like the snow's a little bit lower on the side of the trail. Like don't, you know, stay in the middle. Because you're going to fall in. But I think with bushwhacking, I guess once you've got your path on the way up and you fall your way down, then you're all set. But on the way up, it might be tricky if it's not broken out. Yeah. So it it's always comes in handy to have um, trekking poles or a lot of times, depending on winter conditions, I carry my ice axe and I use my ice axe. Um, but I've used both of those to get myself, you know, just a brace um, and then to pull myself out of a spruce trap, which is some tricks and things you learn throughout the it's always easier with two people but you learn out of necessity um if you're solo yeah now when you go with your wife do you guys have like your roles or do you switch it up like do you lead sometimes and she leads sometimes or is it it, do you have both both have your system uh maybe a couple times but our our uh introduction to or her introduction to bushwhacking was um from those spur um, which was a herd path to, to get up there. That was fine. And then um, we bushwhacked over to Kerrigan, um, which the AMC guidebook um, describes as one of the hardest bushwhacks in the White Mountains. Um, it's tough. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> There's lots of uh, really thick, low balsam fir about knee height, so it's hard to see down to the floor, the forest floor. And then a lot of that forest floor is rotting or moss. So when you do take a step, it's imperative that you, you know, you're able to put some weight on it. Um, yeah. And, you, know. you guys just kind of accept that you're going to get torn up anyway, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we shed some blood that time um, and a lot of sweat and a lot of, you know, a couple of choice words. And then we, you know, had a great time and good food afterwards and, uh but no, we, we mostly, you know, we'll go trail running, we'll go snowshoeing and enjoy, you know, it's, we're usually not too much in a rush or, you know, we'll just go as far as we want. And once we, we have enough and, you know, we're satisfied with our trip in the woods, we'll turn around, you know, it's not always imperative that we make it to a summit, you know, we'll start with that as maybe a goal and a objective, but you know, a lot of times we'll be out for a couple hours, see enough, do, you know, just look at plants and wildlife and things like that. Yeah. We'll just have enough. And that's yeah. it. I noticed that like Stomp does that a lot too, Stomp. You, you'll like, you'll go out and do research. You'll do research and then you'll go out and do half a hike and then you'll come back all excited to be like, oh, I think I found the way. And then like you'll... The third time you'll end up actually doing it it seems like sure yeah there are some cases where you get 
befuddled by the the geography or you run into a strainer system of water and you you just got to call it and say ah oh, next time I'll, maybe I'll take a different route or whatever but yeah it's a learning process I'm actually impressed that um, your partner there uh, enjoys bushwhacking Eric because it's not for everybody <laughs> that's super cool that you have that to share We'll see if I can get her back out on a, I have a couple, you know, open hardwood uh, ridges that I have in mind to bring her out to when uh, snow is pretty good right now. Oh, so yeah. we'll see maybe this week. That's cool. We all know that hiking a mountain can be hard at times. So here's a corny dad joke to help you get over it. But I'm bummed. All right, well, Stomp, this is the part of the show where I do a dad joke. You ready? Oh, I'm always ready. I remember I nailed last week's. <laughs> all right. Oh, you did. Okay, you came close. You came close, Eric, right. if you want to try this. So, all right, which hand is better to write with? Which hand is better to write with? The right hand. Neither. It's better to write with a pen, Stomp. Better to write with a pen. <laughs> So, and actually, we have breaking news. Eric is a crazy cat lady. I just saw a cat walk into the, the screen. Oh, really? Crazy cat lady. Yeah, oh, cat guy, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> You're a cat guy. You're a crazy cat guy like Stomp, too. Crazy cat lady. Oh, my goodness. I think half the audience is going to send you hate mail now, uh, including, including Mrs. Stomp. <laughs> we have three. Yeah, um, I see you are a crazy cat lady. You've got three cats. <laughs> well, awesome. That's really funny. Um, All of your own personalities. You never know who who wants to enjoy your company. Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah. Or, or what what day they will actually decide they want to like tolerate you. Mm-hmm. That's the way it goes. All right, Stomp. So this part of the show we do a sponsor here. Yeah, let's talk about Fieldstone Kombucha, which might help you when you're cold, Mike. So, Fieldstone Kombucha, New England's premium craft kombucha company. If you're in the heart of New England, you need to drink a New England-style kombucha. Softer, less acidic, and truly enjoyable, our kombucha is naturally effervescent and boasts full-bodied flavor. Fieldstone crafts the best seasonal flavors. When we tell you there's blueberries in our baby bandit flavor, it nearly turns your tongue blue. Women-owned and operated, we brew in Rhode Island using whole locally sourced ingredients. Fieldstone Kombucha is the perfect replenishing drink after a day on the slopes or a trek in the woods. It's chock full of probiotics and healthy acids to keep you in top form. Find us at Biederman's in Plymouth, Med River Coffee House in Campton, the Concord Food Co-op, and more. Check out our website for the full list of New Hampshire and New England-wide locations. Use code SLASHER, S-L-A-S-R, on our website for 10% off an online order shipped straight to your door. And that's FieldstoneKombuchaCo.com. We just got our new order of holographic car stickers for the podcast. I have no idea how we're going to get them to you, but what, I, what I'll do is I'll start by giving a bunch down to uh, Spinners in Andover, Mass, Spinners Pizza Parlor off uh, Dascom Road, Route 93, and we'll also give a pile to uh, Ski Fanatics, which is uh, a great uh, store right here on uh, Exit 28 in Canton, so you can check those out. They came out really nice, Mike. They're cool. Um, yeah, I like them. They have like a, a reflective like thing going on. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, from certain angles. So it's it's really neat. They're cool. Just something different. 
Yep. Uh, let's see if you want to advertise with us. We're getting a lot of good feedback from the advertising options that we do here. And, you know, we're not making any jinger on this, but um, it's helping us pay the bills. So if you do, uh, have something you want to plug, just get a hold of us and we will tell you what is available. And uh, let's see, we did have some coffee donations, uh, which are also very helpful for us. Uh, this week we had uh, James Landoli who donated four coffees on the Buy Me a Coffee website platform that we have. Warren Wheelock uh, donated five. And Warren is a member of the Waterville Valley Athletic and Improvement Association in Waterville. And they do all kinds of great activities for the, uh, the local community. Uh, thank you, Warren. And Ellen uh, donated five coffees as well. So thank you very much, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, everybody. Hey, hold my beer. It's time to find out what Mike and Stomp are drinking. On this week's Beer Talk. And I'm assuming you're not drinking any beer tonight, right, Mike? Uh, so the time of the show where we talk about beer. I'm just drinking water stomp. I apologize. Yeah. I just couldn't do it tonight. Yeah, it's all good. How about uh, you, Eric? Anything? I am drinking some homemade chaga tea. Oh, sweet. Homemade chaga, as in you find the chaga in the forest yourself, or do you purchase it from local vendors? I found the chaga. I harvested the chaga. Um and I, I made the tea um, in the instant pot that I have, and um, it's delicious. All right. Let's instead of talking about my dumb beer, can you tell us a little bit more about how you? Yeah. What's the recipe? Do this process. What's the process? Oh, sure. It's it's pretty easy. Um, I mean, if you know what to look for, which I'm not going to get into harvesting and finding the chocolate. Yeah. Don't worry about that. That's fine. Um, just do a little research and it's, it's all over the internet. Now you can find videos and things. And talk to, but, um, yeah, it's usually best to uh, harvest it when it's as cold as possible. So winter time is best. Um, I usually have an ice ax that comes in very handy, um, to, to harvest it. Cause this stuff is like rock hard onto um, the trees. So you just break it off. And then usually I'll um, break it even further because it can come in a pretty good size, you know, like the size of a hiking boot chunk. Um, so I usually just take a hammer or a mallet and, you know, with some eye protection, um, just break it apart into like marble size and then do a batch of tea um, with low pressure, you know, for about an hour. And from there, the chaga will just break down. Um, you can use it two or three bad bits or so. It's supposed to be healthy. Do you put? Oh yeah. Do you put anything in it besides just the chaga? Do you put any like um, honey or cinnamon or anything like that? No, I suppose you could. That would be pretty good. But um, now this is—it's uh, not very earthy like a mushroom. It's—it's it's almost kind of like it's not roasty like coffee, but it's maybe it's not really like coffee. But I guess some people use that as a, an alternative. Um, it's not caffeinated, so it's it's just regular tea. But yeah, it's easy drinking and something you know that if you don't want soda or whatever. I have yeah, um, no, that works. I know some people that make the tinctures as well. So they're fermented. There's what uh, some degree of uh, percentage of alcohol. Do you know anything about tinctures? Uh, a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm 
my my other half, Alana, knows a lot more about that mm. doing tinctures and things. She is uh, going That's to school for herbalism, um, so she is leagues ahead of me on that as far as yeah. tinctures and all that. Um, but yeah, you, you, cool. typically I think there is either glycerin or or alcohol involved. Uh, we both don't do alcohol, so we don't. Yeah, we'll make you know she'll make tinctures for uh, for clients and things, but we don't consume that gotcha the the drink of the devil (laughs) (laughs) awesome well i'm just having a burlington bear works but we'll just move on right all right yeah yeah i'm I'm jealous i knew we should have gone left back there stop don't worry i know it's this way i've got a feeling in my gut uh are you sure you're not about to have a bowel emergency (laughs) uh totally we got this but I just blew out my hip. Fell down that gully with my 40-year-old microspikes. Suck it up, Stomp. It's 4 p.m. We're at 3,500 feet. We got nine miles back to the parking lot. Your leg may be broken. We got no cell connection, and we can't feel our fingers. But we're finishing all of my list tonight. <sighs> By the way, I need some water. I'm empty. I would if I could see what I'm doing, but my headlamp batteries are dead. You gotta be kidding me. What a chump. This is the last time I hike with you. Ha, whatever, mister. Do you know me? I have a podcast. Whatever. Let's find out what Mike and Stomp have been hiking. So this is the part of the show where we'll talk about recent hikes. So, um, Eric, I actually want to start with you. I was checking out your blog. You, and I was thinking about this when I was on Z Cliff the other day. I was looking at White Wall, and I was just thinking about how much I want to, like, climb up that slide. But you actually went on a, I think it's a recent hike where you went up the, you didn't go up the slide in the winter, but you came up from, like, like Mount Tom in that area and then connected onto White Wall. Yeah. Would you be willing to sort of share the details of that hike with the listeners? Absolutely, yeah, so... Uh, yeah. And if you could just if you just speak towards your uh, your microphone, you're dropping off a little oh, bit when you turn your head. Sorry. Um, yeah. So yep. White Wall, it's uh, down in Zealand Notch. It's you know the iconic mountain that has um, the big west facing gash. Um, you know, there's a big fire in that area. Um, you know, from all the uh, logging and everything, the logging railroads, all the cinders flying out. So they essentially just burn the area. There's a lot of history do that but um that's white wall mountain and i've tried it once before i've always assumed i was going to climb it by the slide that's all the research i've ever done for like the past four or five years um i tried once i ended up getting sidetracked with a gentleman a a team of people uh, somebody was having a medical emergency so i had to literally run over to um zealand hut to help with that um, but the weather was trash that day anyway. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it. So I've been waiting for the, the weather opportunity. And in the meantime, uh, what was it? A week and a half ago, I just, I, I had this epiphany one day looking at maps like I do so often every day. Um, I went from Crawford Notch uh, up the AZ Trail over the Tom Field Coal to get to Westfield last year in the wintertime. And I had a blast. Like I've heard nightmares of shoe sucking mud and I just had really crusty snow and just beautiful woods. Um, so I had the idea, why don't nice. I, why don't I just keep going on? I've never been past like in that area of the wilderness. So I thought, why not 
why not keep going on? There's from um, the west. No, wait, from the east. So you went up the, to the mountain correct. from the east. Yep. Gotcha. So up and over the Tom Field Coal, and then yeah. I, I kept going down, pretty steep down. Um, and then you come across an old forest service road, but it's repurposed as like a, a snowmobile trail. I guess it fits one sled. It's really brushed in and, and kind of tight. Um, that was my first time on, on that snowmobile trail, and it was really beautiful. It goes through a nice... Mm-hmm. It was frozen over, kind of boggy area, uh, really open, and kind of birch glades off to either side. It, it was, for somebody that loves forests, it was beautiful. Um, mm. And then you get off, well, I kind of cut too early. I ended up hitting the side of Westfield, took a couple extra minutes, gained a couple extra feet of elevation, no problem. Um, so then, yes, yeah, so on the actual course going up Whitewall, um, I've always heard, and I've seen pictures in other warmer months of the birch glades atop Whitewall. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that's from, you know, residual from the wildfires up there or the fires right. from the railroad, essentially. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, you know, a little bit of thick woods led into a cleared area, then that led into the birch glades. I was really surprised I didn't see moose, but somebody else, like two weeks prior, mentioned that they were surprised they didn't see moose tracks either. Hmm. Perfect setting. There's a little pond up there. Um, oh, yeah. No wildlife, and it was open woods, a little windy, so I didn't stay too long, but beautiful, beautiful views. There's um, at the, the summit of Whitewall, you know, there's maybe four or five good not all from one centralized location but you kind of have to like radiate out from the summit area and you get views um, oh yeah Oregon, uh, Z Cliff and, absolutely yeah because yeah, just looking at the map like you're exactly right like az trail and then you get to around you know the 3200 elevation mark and then you can go i see how you can cut off onto that that snowmobile trail and then it's it's much more open compared to anywhere else it seems like you can navigate the, is the is the forest really thick there or did you find it was pretty open uh getting off the snowmobile trail you know where it had grown in the last 30 40 50 years that was a little thick spruce twigs uh just watch the eyes bring eye protection um that was a little thing, but once, you know, what is it, maybe 40 feet or so? Once you get through that, and you know, you do a little dance to try and not break twigs and things and, you know, not leave a mark in the forest. But once you get through, it was yeah. it was completely open and um, beautiful snowshoeing. Hmm. Beautiful. Do you, So I'll do this sometimes, like, especially when I'm scoping out, like, okay, where can I potentially do, like, a camping site? And, you know, you always look for the the big spaces between the contour lines and you start getting excited. Like I'm assuming you do a lot of that where you're sort of scoping out and saying like, all right, if I'm going to approach this, I'm looking for the big green spaces where it might be a little bit flatter for me to navigate. Uh, Do you, when you're thinking about this and you actually see it on a map and then you get out there and it, it, it works out. Do you just, it must you must get psyched, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are times when, I don't expect to run into blowdown patches like on Castle Peak way up north. Um, that was that was 
devastation at its finest. And that was that was a lot of time consuming, up and over and down and around all the blowdown. But when you do a lot of research and you know study different maps, old maps, new maps, aerial footage, imagery, you put it all together and you're on the trail and you are just strolling through nice open, you know, any kind of open woods. It's that's very rewarding to find yourself there. Yeah, yeah. I know, um, Stomp, you spend a lot of time poking through maps and trying to figure out, like, the best routes to, to connect to things, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and it um, it ties in with experience on trail, I think, over time. Um, it just becomes easier and easier to find potential routes that'll work and uh, just the contours and whatnot. So it's, it's a fun experience trying to figure it all out. Well... I did not do any bushwhacking, but I got out this weekend, and uh, I took my daughter Caroline and her boyfriend Devin, and um, my friend Peter joined us, and so the four of us did uh, cannons for Caroline's uh, four thousand footer list. So she's at twenty seven now. So we went up. Oh, nice! We went up Lonesome Lake, and um, we ended up taking Lonesome Lake Trail, and then we connected on the backside of Kinsman Ridge. That section was super steep. Oh, yeah. Super cold. Like, we started getting hit with the wind, and uh, I don't think I've ever been that cold in my life. Oh, sure. That's the westerly side, right? Oh, brutal. It was really cold. And then, you know, we got up there, and Peter was like, yeah, let's go in and get get warmed up. So we were able to get warmed up, and then we we headed down High Cannon, and... um, Glutton for punishment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went down the ladder. So Caroline fell down the ladder. Oh, great. Brother. Like father of the year here. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it was a little scary, but she uh, she was fine. Now, why didn't you take Kinsman Ridge Trail from the tram lot? Because that's like a, a g- absolute gem in the winter. Well, because we were, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to like go out into that exposed cliff area there because I was figured like we'd stay in the trees. But oh, I see what you're saying. Yep. I, yep. The call. Yeah, so and then we just figured we'd park at um, Lafayette parking lot. So, matter of fact, I parked on the north side, <clears throat> and uh, there was there was a trail trail steward there. Okay. So I immediately like had to unpack all my stuff. I'm showing them all like, look, I got my headlamps, I got a map, I got everything. I'm, mm. I'm, I'm ready to go. So he gave me a stamp of approval. So I was all happy. Yeah. So excellent. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> But it was it was a fun day. We did a little bit of little bit of sledding down Lonesome Lake Trail at the end, which was good. Mm. It's a good trail. I miss it up there. It's so, such a beautiful view at the top. Yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, I like going up the Lonesome Lake Trail because I could sort of connect. I could see where um, the cliffs kind of tail off. Like, where, remember that time you bushwhacked up on the cliffs and you came up? Yeah. You can kind of see how that connects back out to the Lonesome Lake Trail a little bit through the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure, jagged. What about you? What about you, Stomp? Oh, any hiking? You don't hike anymore. No, I'm not a hiker anymore. But uh, that'll be starting up probably this weekend because snowmobile is. uh, I think it's done. Uh, There's no way that they can recover from uh, this next week of rain and high 50s temps that are coming. So I I really doubt it'll come back uh, for this year. But um, yeah, so I'll be back hiking in no time. But uh, interesting stuff going on in the community. Um, As you know, there have been multiple deaths within the last month or so. Um, A lot of them were rentals. So this has caught the ears of the executive commissioner of Coas County. And um, 
the, the article that we'll, we'll post is pretty interesting. Uh, apparently, this commissioner wants to look into uh, potentially having a, an education course that's required before you're able to rent a snowmobile. Subsequent to that, the rental company that has experienced some of these issues uh, was interviewed defending their practice and how they go about renting to people. So it's really, it's an interesting time for the snowmobile community. I don't know. I, 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 think, it's, I think it's time for um, the rental places to come up with some kind of plan to force people into to more guided tours because it's like these companies are either going to get sued or the insurance is going to get so incredibly expensive that they won't be able to, to do rentals anymore. So something's going to happen, but I don't think that um, the legislature necessarily has to get involved at this point. I think it will work out in the companies themselves, but I, clearly something's got to be done. Um, I'm a guide. I think guiding is probably the only thing that makes sense. Um, an education course, an internet video is not going to teach you um, how to be safe on these damn machines because they're dangerous as hell. You know, uh, you need the kinesthetic awareness and muscle memory that comes with a lot of time, for real. Uh, so it's, I don't know, I'm passionate about it, and we'll see what happens. But uh, a, lot, a lot of stakeholders involved with this issue. Yeah, I wonder if they could like limit the, um, limit the areas where rental drivers could go until they get like certified. I don't, oh, know. I don't know. I mean, man. I think you're right. Like just going with a guide at minimum makes the most sense because at least then if something happens, like you know you're going to be with somebody. Was yeah. this lady that with this lady that uh, died from Westford Mass, was she she was in a rental vehicle, but she wasn't with a guide. Correct. Yeah, these are all rentals uh coming out of a company yeah. up in the north. Um so yeah. it's really so sad. So renting them and sending people on their own. Yeah, I, I mean, you can read the articles and judge for yourself, but what they would do was apparently send people out for a mile or so and just put them actually on the machine, let them get used to it. And is a mile enough? In my opinion, probably not. But then again, it's like this, the commissioner's idea, that is, is to do more of an education. I just... It's just not going to work. You've got to get on these yeah. things with safe company and the... Um, the commissioner's comments in the, his article are interesting because he basically makes the case for guided tours because he goes on to say how he had gone out himself as somewhat of an inexperienced snowmobiler with people that knew what they were doing and it was so safe. I'm, you know, yes, it is. Well, hopefully everybody stays safe. There'll be no more fatalities. But um, yeah. on to sponsors here. Stomach. Yeah, Vaucluse Gear. Does your backpack not provide enough ventilation? Does your back sweat too much when backpacking? As you know, sweat can be extremely uncomfortable on the trails. Plus, sweat is a serious risk factor in both hot and cold climates. As your clothes get wet, your core temperature can dramatically fluctuate, and this can result in hypothermia, heat exhaustion, and dehydration. Let's not forget very uncomfortable. Today's your lucky day because we have good news for you. There's a piece of gear that solves the sweat and ventilation problem, making your backpack more comfortable. Vaucluse Gear's Ultralight Backpack Ventilation Frame. This ultralight frame is a backpack accessory that easily installs in your favorite pack, sizes 15 liters up to 45 liters, and creates a ventilating airflow gap between you and your pack. It's also ultralight, weighing around 3 ounces. That's equivalent to a pair of wool socks. Whether hiking in hot or cold temps, the ultralight backpack ventilation frame from Vaucluse Gear is a real game changer regarding airflow and ventilation. Visit Vaucluse to order an ultralight ventilation frame today. Use promo code SLASHER. 
to enjoy a $5 discount. And plus, let them know that Mike and Stomp sent you. Oh, you know what? Do you want to skip uh, the notables this week, Mike, and tack it on to next week? Yep. Yeah, we will. Um, and I'm, I'm still thinking. You said you wanted to spice up a little bit of the uh, the notables, so I'm thinking about that. Okay. Yeah. Next week, it's just you and I, so I think uh, we can put it to next week and have a good time with it. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. Very cool. Very cool. All right, all right. So now we are on to our Guest of the Week here, Sir Maps-A-Lot, Eric Hamilton. All right. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So, Stomp, why don't you kick this off? All right. So, we uh, we got a message from one of our listeners uh, regarding uh, Eric, and um, this was Mike Ladavaya. I hope I say that right. I doubt it, but that's uh, the name of the listener who forwarded your information on to us. And um, simple enough, I reached out to Eric, and he was willing to come on and talk about his adventures. Yeah, I, I stole... Um Sold him a book, and that's that's thrilling that he reached out. Ah, I owe him a, a big thank you. So now I know who <laughs> uh, to thank. Um, yeah, yeah. That's so the, the book has been out for about four weeks now, and and uh, what a what an adventure that's been. Hmm. Yeah. Did you um, did you get? Have you gotten a chance to get a lot of feedback from readers and? Um, do you feel like uh, the book's getting a fair amount of traction at this point? Uh, I haven't really actually heard all that much. Um, a little bit from, you know, some close friends uh, who, who got to see, you know, copies and things. Um, from sales and things, I actually haven't really. Um, there was a review that went in the Conway Daily Sun, um, Ed Parsons, I believe he he liked it very much. That was a great, that was a a, a good article. Um, yeah, there's, there's been you know overall very good feedback about it, and you know thank thanking me for um, you know creating such a project for the White Mountains when this really didn't exist before this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we'll get into the book in a little mm-hmm. bit more detail, Eric, but why don't we start off, can you give us a little bit of background about your early life and uh, education and, you know, your career and then how you got into hiking? Absolutely, so um, I'm going to start with hiking because the, my life has pretty much always been revolved about around mountains, trails, things like that, so um, my parents, well, I have a sister, she's about four years older than me, um, yeah. and so we... Um, as a family, when I was, you know, four or five, we, they, my parents would get my sister and I, and we'd, we'd go hike at the state park, local state park. Eventually, um, well, I grew up in the Southern Adirondacks. So naturally, um, you know, my dad was all about the high peaks and the Adirondacks and a little bit into Vermont, the greens, uh, the Catskills, but most of my time as a, a child was really spent, um, in the Adirondacks, the, you know, Faro Lake Wilderness, um, Algonquin, Marcy, 
Cascade, all, you know, the, the, the ones that have become, you know, accessible and easy for most beginners now. Um, that's what where my parents, that was my playground as a kid. So um, we did that for a while. We hiked and backpacked and, you know, we would go on weekend trips um, that would revolve around camping and backpacking. And, you know, we didn't do Disneyland, but we would go backpacking and camping in the, in the Adirondacks. That was my childhood. Um, so I pretty much, you know, around the time of age 10, my parents decided they um, didn't want to be together anymore. And that really kind of pulled um, my life apart. You know, as a 10 year old, I really didn't go into the mountains much. You know, as soon as they told me, I, I ran. I remember that I, they told me and I ran to the my local trails right behind the house I grew up in um, because that was the only, you know, place I could get away. And, you know, so um, I did that. And then fast forward a little bit, I got back into the mountains on my own. And luckily um, my father wanted to restart the 46, you know, in 2015, um, him and his, his hiking friend, um, my hiking mother, Wendy, um, they wanted to, well, she got hooked on hiking the 4,000 footers of the Adirondacks. And I still lived in in the area there in New York. So, of course, I started. I was along for the ride, hiking all these new peaks. And um, my father really didn't have much faith that we would be able to tackle these uh, trailless peaks. You know, there's uh, quite a few yeah. are just herd paths. And, you know, we were we didn't really know much about that or, you know, what to do. So we just tackled them one at a time, one weekend at a time. And before we knew it, we, um, June 4th, 2016, we, the three of us in tears stood atop, um, Haystack Mountain in the Adirondacks and we became 46ers together. And that was, that was a monumental moment. Uh, definitely, you know, crafted and shaped, sculpted the direction of my life. I'm, I'm sure, um, that moment. So, Shortly after, um, I ended up moving to, I did my first cross-country road trip, and then at the end of that, I hiked uh, Musilak, and that was my first first hike up any New Hampshire peak, and I was hooked. Uh, going Walking through those alpine grasses in September, October was just beautiful. It's like, I mean, we have alpine in the Adirondacks, but that was just a vast open mountaintop. I, I never experienced anything like that. And it, that I wanted to call home. Um, I wanted to visit more. What a perfect first mountain too. <laughs> like, you know, you, it's the same with the through hikers. Like that's their, usually their first mountain that they really get to see like, okay, this is the whites. And then you can just see everything laid out in front of you. Oh, so yeah. I can see how it can be like a spiritual moment for someone that's already into hiking and, and has found a new place. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I, I felt like maybe I exhausted the Adirondacks needed a new place. And I could even see the Adirondacks from, you know, the summit of, of uh, Musilak on that day. It was very clear. I remember. Um, so a couple months went by and I ended up moving. Um, I've moved a couple, a couple times for different reasons. Um, most of that was that I lived in a bus for a little while, but um, <laughs> that's a little while, a little, a little while later. So 
Um, started hiking the New Hampshire peaks, the 4,000 footers, um, with people, but I was mostly, you know, just, you know, mostly with myself, honestly. Um, I, I met some people and there's a really interesting story about a, a friend who I met in the Adirondacks. Um, his name is Ryan Mitchell and, um, I'm not sure if he's actually still in New Hampshire, it's been probably a year or so, but crazy story is I, I ran into Ryan Mitchell in the Adirondacks. He was finishing his New England 115 um, atop Mount Mitchell. So that was my first time ever running into him. And then I moved to New Hampshire. I start hiking and I was, you know, getting ready. Um, I was getting ready to finish the 48, the 67, and the 111, 115 there's 115 peaks in the new England. Um, so I was getting ready to finish and I went forward atop Mount Kerrigan, um, cold, snowy, you know, end of October, beginning of November day. So I, I stood on the summit of Kerrigan for my finish. Those three, um, all alone, nobody else was at the top of Kerrigan. I had a blast. It was beautiful. Lowell and Anderson and, all of those just covered in a nice dusting of, of frost and snow. And it was just peaceful. So on the way down from Kerrigan, who do I run into? Ryan Mitchell. Um, he was yeah. there for somebody's grid finish that I didn't, I didn't know them, but it was so good to see a familiar face. Um, so I talked to him for like 15 minutes. Um, and then we parted ways and then, he messaged me out of the blue. And then when I was finishing my winter 48, um, little two years later or so, he actually ended up joining me for my 48th peak atop, um, isolation. So it was the two of us just trail running with snowshoes and just having a blast in the snow. So, uh, that was really the first time that we got to hang out. And then, um, he actually messaged me again and the most recent time that I saw him, um, he wanted to go for, it was the first day of spring. Um, so we ended up doing a presidential traverse and I would say winter conditions, but it was technically the first day of spring. Um, that was just a blast. Um, six hours and four minutes. I never thought I would do a presidential traverse like that, but we just had a ball and we ran and, played it as safe as we could and we got done at 11 30 in the morning and said wow that was fast what's next <laughs> wow yeah and i think so stomp i don't know if you know the name but ryan mitchell i'm familiar with him i think Not i think really. i may be connected on on uh, social media but he is the fkt holder for the winter hot to hut that's right oh okay right. gotcha yep yeah so epic uh, I don't know if he's still around. I think I feel like he might have moved out of the area, but uh, yeah, good dude. Yeah, from what super, I super Does good. Anybody know what his time was? Yeah, it was about eighteen hours. Nice. So he must yeah. have been moving light and fast. Oh yeah, in the winter. Oh, I'm sure. Can yeah. I uh, before we move on, Eric? Can I get your take on the whole light and fast thing and how to pack if you're trying to do something like a hut to hut in the winter? Well, what's your take on that? How to? I've been thinking a lot about hardening the pack for light and fast runners so that they don't get into trouble out there. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's honestly better if you go with more people, that way you can bring the right amount of 
gear, appropriate gear, and spread it out between more people. Um, good point. Good point. I used to be one of those that you know I would go run the White Mountains with a, a running vest in winter. You won't catch me doing that these days. I I like my gear. Um, I like yeah. knowing that I have enough on my back that I can start a fire. I have three sets of clothes and I can spend the night. Even if I'm going on a two mile hike in the winter, I, I just like to be prepared these days. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Nice point though. I like that. Yeah. Hey, uh, I was curious. You talked about like living in a bus for a little while. Uh, like, wh- what's that all about? Did you have to? Re- did you just buy the bus so that it was like livable, or did you have to do the work on it? And I feel like that's one of those things that feels like a romantic idea, but the reality of it is like it's so much work, and and, and it can be a lot of a headache. So, was, what's your what's your verdict? <laughs> yeah, my verdict. Uh, it was it was. Uh, I would never take that back. I I. It was brutal. Um, it was a good learning experience. It was very cold in the New England winters. Um, so it was a 34-foot school bus, a flat nose from Maryland. Um, <laughs> oh, previous wow. owner had it brought up from Maryland. Um, so he was he gutted the bus and put in a floating wood floor. So it was an insulated wood floor, and that's where I bought it. Um, yeah. And I just started, you know, I it, well, my background as far as uh, education, you know, I have a college degree in uh, blueprinting and, and drafting, computer-aided design. Okay. So I am a, a very uh, visual sort of planner, um, an artist also. I've always, you know, combined that into my, my art and everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was able to, um, you know, come up with a layout. And, of course, the layout changes every week. Um but I, I think I owned the bus for two or three years or so before I ended up, you know, committing to getting a refrigerator. I put sol- four solar panels on it at the time, soon upgraded to six. Um, so I had electricity in it and um, and the time just came and, you know, I it was in an old logging lot in didn't really have power, didn't have Wi-Fi, and I just started staying in the bus. Um, You're like Chris McCandless's older brother. Did, did that story resonate <laughs> with you or what? Responsible older brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you've read the story. You're familiar with it, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I ended up moving. <laughs> I moved the bus a couple of times. Um I put six new tires on it, thinking that I was going to drive it cross country and all this and that. I was going to, you know, it's going to be my art studio. Um, <laughs> for the record, six tires on a school bus will cost you over Expensive. three thousand dollars. Oh that. wow! Damn, that was an investment. Uh, no, it was a great. It was a great project. It was, you know, I, I ended up getting some rough cut wood, and I did all the work myself. And the entire interior was uh, rough cut wood. And, um, it was a real, like, it was my, my apartment, my cabin, you know, for two and a half years and everything, all my hiking gear. I mean, everything I owned was in the bus. And so it was just my self-contained little apartment. And man, let me tell you, driving that thing was fun. It was scary. But once you get the hang of (laughs) being that large, it is just, 
it's i mean it takes a lot of responsibility to not you know hit the gas too hard or you know yeah. it's very top heavy it was you know big old steel tin can um but oh, yeah yeah there was uh, my first winter in that bus um i can tell you for three months it did not get above 52 degrees i had a body heater and i had i installed um a cubic mini wood stove they're out of canada um that thing kicked out some heat and but you know it's a school bus those windows are not insulated Drafty, yeah. i insulated wow. the steel walls you know I, I put rock wool insulation in there but that only goes so far you can only put so much um, yeah i bet you wouldn't trade those memories for anything dude that's not great. at all uh, yeah that's epic yeah I, I never really uh you know was into meditation or anything but that was my you know when two and a half years when i was in that bus i was figuring out who i was a lot of days and a lot of time by the wood stove meditating it was all beneficial and i would never take any of it back because it got me to where i am today on your podcast (laughs) (laughs) nice shangri la you really made it far Well, hey, uh, well, another question I had for you is just going back. So your dad was skeptical when you like re when you redid the uh, the forty six. Like, is he now like is he, if you won him over? Is he like okay, you're a, a, oh, you're a badass hiker now? Oh, uh, we had we had a blast um, doing all the trailless peaks and everything. He was actually I kind of took on the role since moving to New Hampshire. But oh, he was a he was a riot. Um, every Wednesday before we would hike, you know, on the weekends, he would send out the email. The uh, weekly invite email of, you know, which route we're going to take. And he would, you know, come up with the elevation gain and the mileage. It was <laughs> it was fun just to be along for the ride. And I guess I kind of, I learned that um, from him. But he's seen, he's seen me move on to a lot of uh, different climbing and things. And he's still, he's, he's still in the Adirondacks doing his climbing. He's, um. He's kind of vowed to never do any of the 18 mile, like the um, any of the long, you know, out to Basin or Haystack or yeah. Allen Mountain is like 23 miles. So he doesn't want to do that. <laughs> but um, him and Wendy, his hiking partner that we f- I finished with, um, they still he picked up kayaking last year, so he's very passionate about that. And, but they still hike, you know, they do their five six mile treks to waterfalls and. You know peaks and things here and there he's, he's still getting out he just hit 70 so i i only hope i can do that at that age well you got a good it sounds like you got a good role model to uh to to fall there um writing can you talk about that like have you always been a writer or did you is that something you picked up later on later in life yeah um i mean middle school high school i loved doing the writing portion of those tests and just to get into like that trance like state of just flowing with words um you know that always requires a little editing to get it right but just to sit there and just groove with the keyboard and just you know put a couple thoughts together beforehand let it let it go um i always liked writing it's interesting going back like six years to read some of my early like trail reports and things it's atrocious um, I kind of developed my own style. I like using old, um, you know, hiking guidebooks. I have some, you know, going back quite a quite a ways for the Appalachian Mountain Club guidebook. And 
So I like to dig through those, get historical facts and find out what different trail corridors were used for and just try and make my writing a little bit more substantial than just uh, it's a rocky trail. You take a left and then a right and then a left and then you're there. That's boring to me. (laughs) So I want, I I like a little bit more substance. So, you know, some history, some context. Um, So I always try and provide that for the reader. And I think that's Mm -hmm. how I kind of stand out. I don't know if I do yet, but hopefully someday that'll be noticed. Uh, So that's what I'm going for. And it's very satisfying to sit down and, and just get into that writing state. Yeah, and I tend to do similar. Like I, I always go for the like. Okay, where where did this name come from? That's where I always start everything. It's like, what's the name origin? And then you can end up falling down a rabbit hole pretty quickly once you start digging around mm-hmm. for the name origin. Then you can find all kinds of interesting history tidbits. Yeah, and I for planning trips, I'm always going through old maps, new maps. Like I said, you know, and looking for old logging roads, old forest roads, old. You know, old ski roads, just or old ski trails, I suppose. But just anything that I might run into in the woods, you know, a corridor is always going to be easier to stroll than you know, spruce <laughs> if you can find yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And then, what's the what 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 what's the premise of the book, and when did you start writing it? Sure. Uh, so I I finished the New England Hundred Highs. Uh, at Mount Fort, Fort Mountain in Baxter State Park, September or so after I got back from the most recent cross country trip to Milano. Um, so I had a lot of notes. There's some overlap there in the New England hundred highest and the New Hampshire hundred highest, which is what the book is all about. Um, I kind of got the idea from I saw a book in the Adirondacks. Uh, by Spencer Morrissey, and I've since you know messaged him, and we've become friends, and we chat all the time. He's great, uh, but he has a book called um, basically the similar premise to mine, um, the other fifty-four, because they have forty-six high peaks, so it's you know one hundred highest minus those forty-six high peaks. Yep. Same with ours; we have forty-eight, so that that leaves us fifty-two. Uh, I've, I've talked to Ken McGray. He was a little concerned about my title. So, um, I reassured him, you know, unfortunately it just worked out that there are 52 peaks in the hundred highest below 48, but I reassured him there is, there's nothing to do with, you know, the 52 with a view. He's the author of those books anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think just just to d- double click on that. So obviously the, the over the hill hikers gang, uh, group had created the 52 with a view as a compliment to say, you know, if you want to do 100 total hikes, you can do the 52 with a view. So the premise of the 52 with a view is 4, 000, they're below 4,000 feet in New Hampshire. They have nice views. What you're talking about is essentially like ex- the extension of the another list, which is called the New Hampshire 100 highest. And um, that happens to have 52 additional. Yeah. Yeah, so they, the peaks more or less go, you know, it just happens that they end around 3,500 feet, uh, but they go up to, what is it, um, Sandwich, I think is 3,992 or so, whatever they yeah. measured it at most recently. It's right up near Tecumseh, actually. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that's, you know, the, the first one that's not a 4,000 footer, but you know, some of them have fantastic views. Some of them have trails. A lot of them don't have trails. Um, so that was the research that I had to do to, you know, figure out how to even get my vehicle to some of these trail or, you know, they don't have trailheads. Um, just doing the research of, you know, how to access without hitting posted property. And luckily I really didn't run into that issue with these peaks much, mostly up North, but, um, I do give some, some detail and, you know, just to give the, the reader a heads up that, Hey, historically hikers have had some issue in this area. So try the other side of the mountain. Um, so, and what would you say, what are some of the, um, the premier hikes that you cover in the book from your opinion? Uh, well, there are, you know, the, some peaks with, with trails, sandwiches in there. Um, yeah. So a lot of those that do have the peaks, there's a lot of books out there. You know, obviously the AMC guidebook, the mountain guidebook, uh, goes into great detail about all the, the trailed hikes. So those, I, you know, I gave the options, obviously I'm not going to leave those high and dry. So I did give, um, some of the trail information, but I didn't go into, you know, I basically just pointed the, the reader to some of the other textbooks that give more, uh, concise trail information. What are some of the, uh, like if you go into the far North country, like what are some of the, the hikes that you would recommend to start with up there? Um, well, right now in the Nash stream, uh, wilderness, Nash stream road, um, yep. that's a snowmobile road. They don't really gate it as far as I know, but it's repurposed as a snowmobile road, it seems. Uh, so as soon as that opens, um, there's a lot of good hiking up there. The Percy's, a lot of people know that by, you know, the, the two bald, um, little domes, the Percy mountains, those are gorgeous. Fantastic. Um, you can access those right from the Nash stream road there. Um, but Sugarloaf is that's actually a 52 with a view the one in in my book that is a 52 with a view that has a trail um so i mean that's if i had to recommend anybody um visit a peak that's probably one i would suggest or sandwich you know they have trails mark trails um Mm. nash stream is you know that's above cabot so that might be a little drive for a lot of um listeners Yeah, no, it's a great area there. Um, and I've done, I've done the sugar loaf hike, but I I didn't get any views. So that's the one, um, that's the one that I do need to get back to at some point to get some views up there because I'm curious to see what it looks like. I've done the Percy Peaks and gotten some amazing views up there. Yeah, it's I, it was very intimidating before I had ever been up because I knew how remote the Cabot Kilkenny area feels. And then to know you're going even further. Oh, this, this is like remote main territory in, in my opinion, but it's, mm-hmm. it's been yeah. really nice. You know, there's um, the old trail systems are, you know, kind of hard to find on some maps, but I give tips and tricks on how, how to kind of look for and how to spot you know, on maps, old maps and things, or aerial footage, just ways 
to help the hikers get to these destinations. Yeah. What would you say is the most difficult hike in the book that you highlight? Ooh. Or some of the more difficult yeah. ones? Yeah. Um, I mean, like West Castle. Castle Mountain up up north, that just has a lot of blowdowns. So when I, I did that, I did a... It's kind of like shaped like a glacial cirque, kind of like a bowl. Um, there was uh, Gore Mountain, Castle Mountain, and West Castle. Uh, so I hit all three of, of those. Um, Gore and West Castle are in the book. Castle has been included, but I, I don't think it has the prominence. I think that's why a lot of lists do not include that. Some do, some don't. Okay. Um, but that whole summit, it looks like it got hit by um, a microburst. It's just matchsticks just stacked. Um, so that was tough to get through. It's just time consuming, you know, and being time consuming. If a person person were to rush through that, I could certainly see uh, twisted ankles and things. So yeah, there's uh, there's some treacherous terrain. Um, I know South Hitchcock was on my mind earlier today. I don't know why I was driving and that mountain came to my mind. That was one peak. I remember I wasn't even at the peak. I was on the shoulder and I stood there and I looked all around and I was in a position there was no easy way out because the, just the twiggy spruce was so thick and uh, it, it didn't want you to move. <laughs> I mean, you can duck and, yeah. you know, do every sort of dance known to man just to uh, get through the stuff. So, I mean, not th- that wasn't dangerous, but it was just like, oh, I'm here and I can't actually just run out of the wilderness because it's so dense. It's just so time-consuming. Yeah. I think, Stomp, Stomp, you bit up in that. You, you went after Hitchcock like once or twice, didn't you? Didn't you have to go back to that a couple times? No. Oh, oh no. I've done... Um, oh, my goodness. Wait. Steve Smith's White Whale. He calls it his White Whale. Um, I forget which... Well, Hitchcock is the one that you go in from Han- Hancock Notch, right? When you're on the Kank, you see the cliffs... I think the the clips are the Huntington clips. Yeah, yeah that's oh, what that's it is. What it's Huntington. I know. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been to the other ones. The Hitchcock Mass. Um, I used the Discovery Center um, because that's plowed year round. Okay. Um, so I used that in the winter and went up the South Peak and then over the Main and then over to West. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful route, but I. Um, mm certainly found some very very dense growth so eric um how can we get the book yeah how can we buy the book if we want to all right so um my book the other 52 uh it's available in uh some stores mike dickerman of boncliff books has been um stellar at getting the book in uh, north conway uh that's in the rei north conway ragged mountain equipment white birch books all in north conway um in littleton it's in littleton village toys and books littleton food co-op um steve smith store in lincoln the mountain wanderer he was one of the first to carry copies of my book um mm, yep. it's in a few more i got i got it in a couple vermont stores um but most importantly, you can find my book right on my website uh, where my blog is. Alana does some writing on there. I do a lot of my writing. That is 
atalkinthewoods.com. Okay. Yeah, and and listeners, this um, he, so Eric's website is really good. He's got a uh, like trail reports in here, and he's got a ton of them. And it's 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 I've been like scrolling through them over the last week, week and a half, and uh, it's really worth checking out for sure because he's got a lot of uh, really interesting um, reports here. So. Um, if you're looking for ideas on hikes, you can literally just go on to your blog and just get some ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had somebody just message me um, a couple days ago, said she was recovering from knee surgery or something. And so she can't get in the hills, but she found my blog, which is pretty much essentially bringing her into the hills, which that's that's a huge compliment. And to be able to bring joy, that's my job's complete. <laughs> yeah, and are you doing? Uh, is it, are you pursuing high points, state high points, or is that just? Um, yeah, um, or is that just something all like a? If you're around that area, you just happen to get a high point. I am. Yeah, Alana and I, we both are. Um, I'm at 31. She's not too far off. Um, I was able to. Well, I went in 2022. She encouraged me to go cross country, and I was able. Uh, my object- objective for that trip was Mount Hood. Um, so I did, I summited Mount hood, um, just before sunrise, March 25th. Um, so that was fantastic. Um, but yeah, we're, I'm slowly, I'm working on state high points, but, um, so this past summer, um, I went cross country with Alana, finally had somebody going with me. Um, we, (laughs) I ended up winning a grant, a climbing grant from the American Alpine club called the uh, live your dream grant i've been applying for a couple years and you know basically just said i can't win if i don't try so i've been applying and um we were going camping in maine and i ended up somehow getting an email come through um and it was an email from the american alpine club that i won their grant um so we were planning on hiking the uh, long trail in vermont and so our, our plans changed uh, drastically. So um, I had pitched the idea to go hike Mount Ritter out in the Sierra Nevadas um, because I was doing a lot of studying on John Muir, reading about John Muir. And, um, my father actually, my parents, I guess, uh, when they were together, they hiked Mount Dana out there and they had fantastic stories. And okay. So I wanted to go visit that area that they loved so you much. You guys there? Well, I, I won the grant, and so um, the weather window is basically August, um, and then the snow starts back in September. So um, we ended up going. Uh, we drove, and we hit a lot of state high, pal- high points on the way out. Um, so we ended up driving down the Appalachians. We hit Maryland, West Virginia, a couple, you know, all the way across, uh, and then we we went out and um, camped at the base of Mount Ritter. That's uh, thirteen thousand one one hundred and forty three feet. Um, a couple technical gear issues kept us from summiting, but that was all very good um, because the snow. As soon as the sun came up, the snow was trash. So we would have been in a very 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 precarious position had we pressed on and been able to summit so that worked out 
perfectly. Um, but on the way back, we yeah we we were hitting state high points. Um, I hiked Mount Elbert in Colorado. We poked around the Tetons and just found a lot of places, Washington, um, just mountain ranges that we want to go back to. You know, we we were spread thin and drove fast to visit a lot of places and, and peaks. Um, we found a lot of depressing areas of the United States that, you know, we'll clearly avoid next time, but a lot of beautiful places that, you know, now that's on our list and we want to go back to some of these places for a week, two weeks at a time and set up a base camp and just, um, you know, focus on, on some of these areas that really touched our hearts. Yeah, I, I just I encourage the listeners to check out your blog and the trip report. So again, it's a talkinthewoods.com and you've got like it's really like if you're looking for ideas for hikes, like this is a great place. I mean, you've got like some of the 52 with the view, the 4000 footers, but you've got so many unique places in the whites and a lot of them yeah they don't have views necessarily on the summit but like you'll get views in different areas um so it's it's definitely worth checking out because you've been you've been to some places you've been in the, you've been in the um the far, <laughs> the uh the far corners of the whites for sure yeah i feel like i've certainly been in some places where you know there may not have been uh a, a foot place of you know a footstep placed ever or maybe for a hundred years i don't know but certainly a lot of places that are remote and and do not see a lot of traffic not human traffic anyway a lot of moose territory out there yeah yeah all right stomp any any questions you want you got for eric no, not really. I mean, honestly, we could probably spend a whole episode on just bushwhacking alone, and I think we should probably do oh, that. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind coming back again, I um, would come back for, anytime. F- for that specifically. I think we really need to do a deep, deep dive on the how tos, the what ifs, and the you know, just all of it. I would love that. I would love to give tips, tricks, gear that I carry. You know, I yeah, I would love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I pre- would appreciate that. We'll we'll talk. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, I guess from here, Stomp. If we don't have anything else for Eric, so we'll just to remind people again. We'll put the links in the show notes on where to buy the book. I'll make sure that we put the uh, the details in the blog. And you know, Eric has been interesting. I love hearing the story about the bus. I love hearing about your hiking adventures, and then the book is um is called the other 52 a hiker's guide to the lower 52 peaks of the new hampshire 100 highest it's in rei it's in steve smith's bookstore mountain wanderer and a bunch of other different places so we'll include the list of where you can purchase it as well so this has been great i just have to um if, if you don't mind i just have to give a shout out to my uh running partner because he's already got this queued up um to listen on his drive into work friday when this comes out um, oh, nice! Yeah, my, my good friend, Mr. Chris Gothberg, um, and uh, and of course Alana. Um, we're all good, good hiking friends. And, yeah. All right, shout out to Chris and Alana for sure. For hell, I'm sure they were like your support crew during writing the book too. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. yeah, Chris. We're, yeah. we're some wacky guys that like to get up at two in the morning and go track down, you know, sun sunrise views from New Hampshire 500 highest ledges and stuff. And, we, like, we just like to 
feed off each other and go find what's out there. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's not wacky to me, but I mean, I think it's wacky to the, you know, we're amongst friends here, but I think everybody yeah. else thinks we're wacky. So, <laughs> all, all right, right cool. stop. So, uh, next up, we got a sponsor here. Yeah, 48 Peaks Alzheimer's. Use your passion for hiking to help end Alzheimer's. In one collective effort, 400 plus hikers will climb New Hampshire's 4,000 footers or create their own challenge to support the mission of the Alzheimer's Association. The annual hiker celebration will take place Saturday, June 8th at Reckless Brewing Company in Bethlehem with raffles, food, and an amazing community. Hike that weekend or any day you want. No fundraising minimums required, but those who raise 100 will receive this year's performance-grade purple t-shirt. Let's turn the White Mountains purple to end Alzheimer's. Visit alts.org, right slash 48peaks. That's A-L-Z dot org, right slash the number 48peaks to learn more. Stump, do you have a um, favorite flower? Uh, let's see. No, I don't. <laughs> I love them all, Mike. I love them all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, this is a story about hikers that got in trouble um, hiking in a place called Linville Gorge Wilderness that leads to Daffodil Flats. Uh, huh. So it's in North Carolina. And um, it was a hiker had to get pulled out of a difficult situation they were, um, I guess they needed 40 volunteers to help get this hiker out. So, <laughs> Yikes. Um, All this for yeah. daffodils? Yeah, I guess so. They were wow. hiking into this like daffodil area, and uh, they ended up, I guess... Like the song of the siren. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah, very weird. So, huh. uh, anyway, all's well that ends well in that that group. So, I guess they were... I guess it was a group, and they were able to get to the patient and eventually carry her out. But this is called Linville Gorge. Hmm. So if you're going to go picking flowers, go to a place that's a little safer. (laughs) Wow, that's interesting. Very good. Um, All right, this next one here is Two Lost Hikers in Raymond. So... Um, two hikers, this is a local one, Raymond, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So two hikers ventured into a conservation area in Raymond behind their residence. So this is just like a local hike here. Um, so it looks like uh, a man and a woman. They had never hiked the area before. They were relying on boundary lines distinguished by an old rock wall as a trail when they lost track of the wall, causing them to become lost. So they had to call police. They were able to get... 911 uh, 
use GPS coordinates, and from there they were able to um, have the fi- local fire department locate both subjects, hmm. and they they got them out in the ATV. So I don't even think that even counts as hikers. Yeah, probably not. Yep. Yeah. And then this last one is a, uh, a fatality. So this was just a missing woman, they said? Stop. What, what is this? I didn't read this one before the show. Yeah, it's an interesting story. So it's uh, a missing 31-year-old woman from Richmond. Um, it's an interesting story. So there's an update. This is an updated um, post. There was an original post that they put out, and this is dated the 27th. Um, so... A woman was found in Richmond who had passed away Sunday, February 25th, and um, she's a woman from Richmond, New Hampshire. So on the 25th, there was uh, a response for a report of a missing female, and um, she was reported missing by her family on the 24th. At 10.45 a.m. on the 25th, the missing woman was found uh, in the woods by New Hampshire Fishing Game and uh, uh, K-9 team, actually, approximately one mile from her residence, and she was in critical condition and in need of serious medical attention. So apparently it, it sounds like it may have been uh, cold weather injuries, um, which is just an interesting story. Um, a team of conservation officers and Richmond Fire Department personnel carried her, in a litter a short distance back to Route 119 and uh, they medevaced her uh, away from this, the area to UMass Memorial uh, by Life Flight helicopter. So unfortunately she did not survive and they mentioned specifically cold weather injuries. So yeah, I guess uh, it's a strange story but it doesn't take much even if you're a mile from home. Yeah, yeah, and this is like on the southern border, so it's right on the mass border by like Athol and Gardner in that area there, so it's not really in the mountains, but that's just a sad story. It sure is. But, so. I mean, you can you can get turned around and lost, you know, right out uh, your back door, so you got to play it safe out there, and I guess it goes back to having things with you to survive situations. Who knows the context of this one, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a quiet hiking incident um, week here, so that's good. I know we've had a couple of busy weeks with search and rescue, so. um, But, yeah, condolences to the family for sure, and I hope everybody stays safe out there this weekend. Yeah, right on. All right, Stomp, anything else? I think we are good. I hope you feel better. Try some chaga, Mike, or some kombucha. (laughs) Yeah, I got to the the chaga tea, Eric's chaga tea. I'm going to try that, so. All right, cheers. Nice. Later. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. 
He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know where they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.